The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I am Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm here with Woody Weingarten. Woody's the author of Roller Coaster, How a Man Can Survive His Partner's Breast Cancer. He can't remember when he couldn't talk or play with words. His first poem was published in high school, but when his hormones announced the arrival of adulthood, he decided to eat rather than rhyme. So he switched to journalism, jump-starting his career in New York almost 60 years ago. Now he's a columnist, reviewer, critic, blogger, and publisher, despite being quote-unquote retired. Earlier, he was executive editor and writer for daily and weekly publications in California, Florida, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York for five decades. He won writing awards for public service and investigation, features, columns, editorials, and news. Woody, whose previous spouse died after her breast cancer metastasized, also has published newspapers and written a national column. The father of two and grandfather of three, he lives in, he's lived in San Anselmo, California, not far from me, for 29 years. He figures he'll stay. Welcome, Woody. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you, and I, I appreciate the humor in your biography and in your book. Um, I, I think there's a way that humor perhaps saved my own life going through um, the experience of cancer with someone, and it sounds like you had that to start out with. I developed mine in the process, but um, I, I had you... mine before, but uh, and it became very useful throughout the process. And in fact, one of the things that we did uh, during that process is make sure that we had humor in the form of videos. We we rented and downloaded and did everything for every video that was a comedy that we could find. Keep, keeping yourselves laughing, huh? Well, we, we thought that we had to laugh or we'd cry. It was that simple. Yeah. Uh, well, that's sort of also the Norman Cousins idea, isn't it? That humor exactly. is also, yeah, that, is that also healing and, and, and um, soothing to the system. That was where we got the idea from uh, his book. Uh huh. Um, you know, the other it. thing that does really stand out is um, I have had relatively few men come on and talk about going through um, their. You know, I think I can remember one other guest who um, also had written a book about his wife's cancer, and 
I just find that so meaningful because um, it's sometimes less likely to find men talking about that experience, I, I think. Do you think well, so? I, I agree. There, are, there have been 14 other books in the last 15 years written by men about uh, being a partner to a breast cancer patient. All the others are out of date. Um, I, that's a commercial. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the fact is that uh, I am in, I run a men's support group in Marin County. Um, it's called Marin Man to Man. I've been running it for 20 years. And we've never had a... Ma- it's a drop-in group. And the maximum number of people that have ever been in there was 13. We currently have about eight. And it, uh, people come and go. Um, and a lot of it is because men think they can fix anything and then mm. discover all of a sudden when their wives have a life-threatening disease, and it doesn't have to be breast cancer. It could be uh, AIDS or Alzheimer's or anything like that. Yes. Um, they, they discover, oh, my goodness, I cannot fix it. I don't know what to do. And they look around for help, and there isn't a lot of help out there that, there are pieces of help, but there's no one place that anybody can get it. Well, and also it goes against uh, uh, maybe, uh, you know, at one point on your website, I think on the Man to Man website, I think you said something like um, men overcoming their machismo to come talk about how they feel, um, <laughs> which which struck me because it's not something you're uh, – you know, none of us are particularly encouraged to express feeling publicly, but I think men are much more socialized not to than yes, than women. Men, men don't like being vulnerable. We don't like to express our feelings. We don't like to say that we have any weakness whatsoever. And uh, the the group, the man to man group, uh, people who come there are, I think, extraordinary men. And they all come there um, sort of disheveled and uh, some as, as bad as basket cases. And uh, some stay for a short time and take what they need and then don't come back. And others have been there for 20 years like I have. Mm. Um, it, you're you're an addict, huh? <laughs> yes, yes, very much for everyone. But I, did, I am particularly aware and was in reading your book just how much... Uh, cultural pressure goes against um, feeling fear and feeling uh, upset and and feeling out of control. Um, it's it's a big thing to walk into that, isn't it? It's horrible. I, in my own case, uh, when when my wife was diagnosed, and we hadn't expected that she was going to come out with a diagnosis of, of breast cancer, um, I was petrified. And we just this morning, uh, we had a new member in the group, and we were talking about how difficult it is to accept that and there, all, all the losses that come with it. And that's not necessarily death that we're talking about. Absolutely. There's, the There's all sorts of losses. There's a loss of innocence. There's a loss of sexuality. There's a loss of the ability to talk uh, honestly and openly about everything. That doesn't happen uh, during that particular time of treatment because the wife tends not to want to worry the man anymore. And uh, when I say the wife, it can be a partner. It can be anybody who is sick. Um, and the uh, the guy is afraid to uh, 
make his partner uncomfortable. So we mm. withhold, in my own case, I withheld information that uh, just as she did, and then a year later we started talking about it again, and we have since talked about everything. But for a period of time, it was uh, very different. Mm. You know, I, I think this would be a good moment for you to share the um, piece of, of writing in your book that starts under the heading Friday, because that's sort of the beginning of the, um, it's such a familiar place to me when you're first dealing with this shift into the cancer world in a way. Would you share that? Surely. This this is in the chapter uh, or part called surgery. Um, there are parts of surgery and uh, chemotherapy and radiation, and there are all sorts of other things in the book, uh, such as a guide to where you can get research and meds and help. But this is fr- at the beginning, and this is when it was lo- probably one of the worst times during the process for me. Uh, Friday, I slouched in the tiny waiting room of the surgical floor, stomach knotted, hands quivering, mind in meltdown. His words bounced off the walls of my brain. I refused to let them take hold. Nancy's all right, but the cancer was can- a tumor was cancerous. His second sentence, we believe we got it all, couldn't undo the first. What does that mean? Will she be okay? For how long? The questions rattled in my head like bullets from an assault rifle, but my tongue was as numb as the rest of me. She's still asleep, the surgeon continued. She doesn't know yet. Oh, God, why her? Why her? I couldn't cry. I couldn't scream. I desperately wanted to do both. The odds, the doctor had told us going in, were five chances in six the tumor would not be malignant. Nance beat the odds. Negatively. Will I ever trust statistics again? A medical man in scrubs who just slipped me the bad news as unemotionally as if he'd been a weather guy reporting an overcast day left for another surgery. Twenty minutes evaporated as I mindlessly thumbed a handheld poker game. A nurse materialized and said I could see my wife. She lay in a Marin General Hospital bed in Greenbrae, California, with a tube up her nose and an intravenous needle in her arm. Yes, she'd looked more glamorous on previous occasions. I stood there, hunched over, rehearsing what I'd say when she awakened. Terror, terror gnawed at my stomach. I didn't want to tell her. The doctor ought to do it. He'd undoubtedly had plenty of practice. My anger at him intensified. Even if he were purely the messenger, even if he'd preserved her life, anyone who crossed my path now was potential prey. And if I couldn't find a human being to blame, I'd fault an invisible, monstrous, unkind God. The surgeon reappeared shortly after Nance came out of the anesthetic. In a voice as flat as Kansas, he told her the repugnant findings of her lumpectomy. Her eyes dulled. She said nothing for a few seconds, but then crackled questions faster than he could reply. That's that segment. 
Yeah, you know, the what jumped out of, out at me was I couldn't cry, I couldn't scream, I desperately wanted to do both. And I was thinking of the relatively unusual circumstance of you knowing before she knew. Uh, you know, often people go into an office together or the person that's thinking they might be ill goes in alone or... But you had to kind of face that news first by yourself, knowing she didn't know yet. And that seemed a very profound moment to me. Uh, It was, and in fact, it still is. And just reading that gets me choked up because Mm. it brings it all back. I've I've done some speeches in some uh, before some men's groups and uh, a couple of bookstores. (coughs) Excuse me. And... If I read something like this, I get choked up, and I have trouble um, bringing it back. My wife does not like to accompany me in those things because she hates bringing it all back. And yet it's sort of in your cells a bit, yeah? Uh, uh, that yes. that we, kind of defining moment. Again, uh, this morning, we, somebody was talking about the whole of lost again. Uh, that uh, different losses, and they asked me if how I coped with that hole and how what I did about it. And I said, you learn to accept that it exists. It never goes away. Con- cancer is a chronic disease. Two weeks ago, a member of the group whose wife had breast cancer 23 years ago and has been clear since was diagnosed with breast cancer in the other breast. You had only had a lumpectomy as well. And it, it, was a, it wasn't a recurrence, which is what every man fears whose partner has breast cancer. This was a new breast cancer. They are now going through the whole thing over again. It is not as bad. The terror is not as bad because they know that you can come out at the other end and there is and can be light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and that, that actually is what my book is all about. That's, the theme is positive, not negative. It's yes. certainly a difficult uh, experience. And, and the, the title roller coaster came from a doctor mentioning to me that one day you're, you may feel that your wife is uh, going to die, and the next day you feel that uh, she's going to be cured, and then the next day you're back and forth. And that's exactly the feelings that you go through for a long time. Not to mention the emotional ro- roller coaster of how you respond to the same information from day to day. Exactly. Uh, true. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, I had uh, what almost nine years of of those changes in my response to my my wife's cancer. Uh, radically different nine years later than they were at the start. Right, and there are different things that happen along the way. I mean, I, my blog just did a piece on uh, Angelina Jolie, who is now facing menopause at a very early age because she had her, first she had a double mastectomy, and then she had um, her ovaries and fallopian tubes removed. And this would be as a preventive because she had a gene mutation, uh, the called BRCA, B-R-A-C-A, which stands for breast cancer, by the way. Um, She had that gene, and as a prophylactic preventive measure, 
she had these things removed, and it, it's what was called, uh, in some cases, uh, uh, a top because it just stopped all the hormone productions, and uh, she was forced into that situation. Yes. Uh, nobody expects that early on. She didn't have breast cancer. She was doing right. it as, as a preventive. But women who do have it frequently go through menopause. Um, I had prostate cancer, actually, and that's mentioned in the book at, toward the end. And uh, I went through the, the equivalent of menopause, and it was sort of menopause. Mm. Um, and um, I had hot flashes and, and all of the symptoms. and uh, um, Because of hormonal changes, Woody? Yes, because what, uh-huh. what one of the treatments I had were was hormonal. I had radiation, two kinds of radiation, but I also had... Um, the hormone treatments, and they basically stopped the, t- the testosterone and started estrogen, and I developed some breasts. I, I don't wear a training bar, but I could. <laughs> um, and um, and that it, it, I had a comparatively mild reaction. Uh, women have much greater reactions, so that they go through all sorts of uh, trauma, hell, uh, anxieties. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing about that is um, most women who go through menopause, every, uh, all those reproductive organs are not removed. And so they're still producing a little bit. But if you've got everything removed, it actually is a pretty intense thing. And you can't do anything about it because you don't want to add hormones. The idea was subtracting the hormones, so I know that can be a very, very intense experience for a lot of women. Right. And while sure. that's all going on, of course, the man is reacting. Yes. It's always, it's always reactive, um, and you frequently do not know what your wife wants. You can't guess at it. Uh, not if, you can't if she it. knows herself, huh? Let's let's yeah, pick that um, up after the break, Uh which it's time for. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America to find me on Facebook, Twitter, um, Pinterest, and to find my website. To find Woody Weingarten, you can go to www.vitalitypress.com or Marin Mantman. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. 
Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Woody Weingarten about his book, Roller Coaster, in which he recants his experience with his wife's breast cancer. And um, we were sort of lending some specifics to the idea of how many losses are potentially involved in you or your partner having cancer, um, you know, including loss of parts of our bodies, loss loss of our sense of... of um, uh, innocence, loss of faith in the future, you know, including fear of of um, recurrence and all of that. Um, that's a big part of the experience, isn't it? Yes, and, and one of the things that I, I, I don't know if I mentioned or not, one of the losses often is a loss of sexuality. Mm, and yes. the doctors don't talk about that. The doctors don't really emphasize women's loss of hair. And, and that is, for women... Um, almost as traumatic as the disease itself. Uh, the loss of sexuality is usually more traumatic for the man, but that comes along and then doctors just don't talk about it because their focus is on saving her life. And, and that is always the focus of everybody, actually. Um, the woman's life is threatened. That's really key. The man's life is not being threatened. His universe is turned upside down, but that's yes. not quite the same thing. It's a little bit removed. And... When, yes. when in, in the men's group, uh, I talk frequently about how to deal with this kind of thing, and, and there are all sorts of things I learned along the way. Would you mind if I read a, a thing I call, it's not in the book per se, it's, there are pieces that I sort of co- put together and call Seven Significant Secrets, it's things that I have Absolutely. learned. Okay, number one. It's critical to remember the health of a male caregiver is just as urgent as the patient's. You're no good to anyone else if you also get sick. The American Society of Clinical Oncology has noted that depression can result from the, quote, mental beating, unquote, partners of cancer survivors take while their loved ones battle the disease. Two, it feels wonderful to let go of anger at doctors for not having instant answers, at pharmaceutical companies for not producing life-saving drugs, at yourself for not having a magic wand handy at all times. Three, breast cancer patients often prefer male caregivers to listen in silence and just squeeze their hand. You also can, simply by asking, get input from a patient about what she really wants rather than what you think she wants. Four, you must, perhaps surprisingly, learn to ward off verbal attacks from your ailing partner, flare-ups that may stem 
from her raging yet frequently hidden fears. Five, encircling yourselves with friends who evoke positive feelings as well as eliminating negativity and avoiding naysayers is crucial. Six, downloading, renting, or borrowing comedy films can help immeasurably, as may taking walks, reading, or listening to whatever brings you pleasure. And seven, it's imperative to understand that you have only today and must make the best of it. But you also can look forward to something positive, be it a big deal foreign trip or a little deal date for a neighborhood movie. So those are just some of the tips that I generally discuss with the men in the group. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much. We could have several shows on those for sure. Um, I wanted to also um, uh, just mention while I'm thinking of it, because you brought up sex, that um, the continuing education program that I teach, our December topic is uh, sexuality uh, during and after cancer. And I'm having a woman named Barbara Musser who wrote a book called Sexy After Cancer. So I just wanted to um, put that out. That's a resource also because I think there is such a changed uh, sense of that for both people. Um, also, I was aware as I was listening to those seven suggestions, there, there's a way in which cancer sort of highlights difficulty. You know, there are all these practical and emotional difficulties that kind of turn up in volume. And at the same time, in my experience anyway, it turns up your desire to keep closeness, keep connection, you know, kind of cling to one another. That's a real creative tension from my point of view. Um, uh, I believe that in most cases, and I'll explain this in a second, but in most cases, the disease brings people closer, the couples closer. Uh, nine out of ten couples who face a life-threatening uh, disease survive. Now, that sounds like a lot don't, one out of ten. But the fact is, if you consider that the stats on marriage tell you that half of the marriages fail, um, you shouldn't think that's a, a, a large figure, but a small figure. And mm. the closeness that is achieved through and because of the disease is surprisingly intense, surprisingly better. Uh, I said my wife and I had some problems communicating. We, we communicated very well, but we withheld things during the treatments. Afterward, we got rid of all of that and went back to our normal communication level. And our relationship has gotten better every year since. And a lot of it is stems from the time we spent dealing with it and battling it together. And it is a together. Mm-hmm. The, the, the women who uh, don't have partners, and that is a whole category unto itself, absolutely um, don't do as well. Especially emotionally. It's very true uh, in my experience in the groups that it's very hard to be uh, on your own. Um, right. For sure. Um I'd like if you would if you would share because um you know we're talking about the hard part 
this thing that you did after, I mean, I felt you as a journalist in this part of the book where you said uh, you were going to list with Nancy her symptoms after it was over. And I would love you to share that, you know, um, I mean, that's also an invitation to conversation about what you've been through, isn't it? Right, yeah, this, this is sort of an overview in like one long paragraph mainly, um, but it's from the chapter on chemotherapy, and uh, it's, it's a bit shorter, and that's fine. Uh, Tuesday, stupid mistake. I asked Nancy to list her post-cancer symptoms so I'd be aware of all she'd been through. Putting them on paper became a full-bodied bummer for both of us. What she listed in no order of importance or irritation were rash from drug allergy, headaches, fatigue, nausea, common cold, shortness of breath, cough, sciatica, yeast infection, sores in mouth, sleeplessness, infection where drain from operation broke the skin, soreness in shoulder and arm and back from lymph operation. Hair loss, inability to concentrate, loss of memory, loss of appetite, metallic taste in mouth, lightheadedness from smells, diarrhea, sore throat. And she left out two that seemed constant, an inability to grip anything firmly, so she keeps dropping things, and, quote, chemo brain, unquote, a catch-all phrase covering a gamut of memory and cognitive lapses that would be validated by a Stanford University study. All in all, just enough to make her a teensy-weensy crabby. And she didn't even have to deal with the horrific menopausal symptoms a lot of middle-aged women with breast cancer must endure at the same time they're undergoing treatment. That felt, reading that, because we hadn't put it all together up until that point. And when I asked for that and she gave it to me, it, that felt overwhelming. It was like, oh, my God, how did we get through that? But because you get through it one day at a time, you do get through it. Yes, and I do think, uh, you know, f- uh, at least in my experience, there is value, even though it's painful, in acknowledging what you've been through, the hard parts. Uh, it seems like you two are pretty good at, at you know, the silver lining or um, acknowledging, you know, what came out of it that you value. And I think this is valuable, too, don't you? Uh, um, j- just to, just to say, look what we went through. <laughs> yes. It's good to look at what you went through. It's look. It's good to look at where you are, and it's good to look at where you can be in the future. Um, we are constantly trying to improve things. Um, I am a grandfather, and I just started writing a book with my eight-year-old granddaughter, um, and that's a whole new experience. And collaborating with an eight-year-old is not your normal collaboration, so it's, it's fun. <laughs> It sounds like a blast, though. (laughs) Oh, it is. It's it's just a fun trip. We spent, actually, this past Sunday, we spent an hour and a half laughing. At one point, my granddaughter just decided she wanted to make the entire section in capitals. So she hit the uh, (coughs) cap lock and just played with the keyboard. And we laughed. 
And it didn't matter what we were writing. It really didn't matter. My wife plays piano for senior <coughs> facilities in a whole lot of places, and a lot of her presentation has humor in it. And she makes people who are near catatonic in some of these places come out because of the humor, because of the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- we're both retired in, unofficially uh, because we, we do probably more than when we were working and we worked. We love, both loved our, our occupational life, but we love this more. Um, at, at the Republican debate, people were talking about whether you do your passion or not. The fact is that if you can live your passion, whether you're making money at it or not, or at least a piece of you can live that, it's wonderful. And so we look, we try to turn all of the negativity into positive. It's, it's the cliche of, of making lemonade out of lemons, but it works. If, if you, and especially if the two of you are working in, in tandem. Well, the other thing I hear, though, too, Woody, is that um, there's a sort of, maybe you were all a, always, the two of you, keen appreciators of life. I don't really know. But um, for me, realizing life is not guaranteed beyond this one instant, actually infused me with a lot more passion for those moments you're talking about. Do you think that happened for you? Um, I think we always were tuned into how we could make each other's lives um, more fun, more vital, more interesting. Mm, Yes. Uh, Something else that we do that is not mentioned in my book is that for 30 years, we have done something called uh, mystery dates in which each of us periodically will set up a date. The other one doesn't know where they're going. So it keeps the uh, vitality in the relationship. And we've been doing that for a long time. Um, and in fact, I'm writing a book about that too. Um, but the, the idea of helping one another and surprising one another and... Uh, my wife and I met when she was 16, so our relationship goes back just a couple of weeks. And, <laughs> and we have been living a fantasy ever since, and, and the breast cancer got in the way of that. But we figured we couldn't possibly let her die because um, we were living a fantasy, so we had to live it out. And, and so she survived. We don't know why she survived, by the way. Because it's very mysterious, we, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and although the treatments and everything else have improved vastly, in the, she had her breast cancer some time ago, um, and everything is better now, but the fact is that she tried Western medicine. I mean, that was the main thrust of, of the treatments, but she also tried Eastern medicine, and in fact is still taking some um, supplements from uh, Eastern uh, medical supplier, Chinese medicine. Uh, she tried a uh, visualizations. She tried, at one point she went to a faith healer, a hands-on healer, uh, which she'd never done before or since. Um, we've, we went into uh, the net and we studied everything possible. We, read, we, we went to what I called cancer college with mm-hmm. 
it's, it's instant. You, we just learned everything we could immediately and then forgot most of it and blocked out some more um, because it was too scary. Uh, but we, along the way, learned how to deal with every step of the way. Some of the worst things that go on is you're waiting and waiting and waiting for results of tests. That's, that's almost as bad again as the disease. There are a lot of side things that go on that are, are problematic. And you have to learn how to cope with it, how to deal with it. And there are 250,000 women diagnosed with uh, breast cancer every year. That's one that's, every two minutes. That's a two staggering mil- number, isn't it? Yeah, well, two million women live in the United States. 40,000 of them die every year. In the, around the world, 370,000 die. That, that blows me away, too. Uh, and, 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 and one in ahead. eight women get it the, with the only risk factor being that they're female, not because of their DNA, not because of their heritage, not because of their environment, but just because they're women. And we're also talking about that many families or caregivers. Uh, I, I um, was thinking of a statistic that I've recently come across that actually caregivers are twice as likely to suffer anxiety, depression, um, you know, s- such things as that than the person they're caring for. Yes, that's that's true. Um, and um, you know, I and think there are many, many I, more caregivers today. Uh, this month's uh, AARP bulletin refers to caregiving uh, in general, and it's not, not for life-threatening diseases alone, but everything. And they, it talks about the fact that there are now 40 million caregivers in the United States. Uh, a few years ago, and in the book, I think, I, I quoted the statistic of 35 million from the New York Times. That was a couple of years ago. Mm. And it had grown by 5 million in that time. And, and the AARP piece says that uh, they collectively do 37 billion hours of unpaid caregiving worth $470 billion. Um, and that men have increased uh, dramatically in terms of the amount of men that are now caregivers. And half of caregivers have to change their employment in order to do it, uh, reduce their hours, uh, take leave from their jobs. And so not only are they contributing substantially to, you know, the, the culture financially, but they're doing it at a great loss, a great price, uh, by and large. Um, so I, I think that's another pressure we're not talking about too much is just the economic pressure of illness, which many of my clients are, are consumed by. That's what they're talking about. I don't have enough money to, to do this. You know? right. that, that's another thing that the doctors don't talk about. They don't talk about the financial aspect of it. The, the presumption is everybody has insurance, and Obamacare or not, whatever the politics are, the fact is that there are a lot of people who do not have insurance, a lot of people who are struggling even when they do have insurance just to pay the co-pays. And, I, I um, actually I, have, yeah, it, it's about time for our break, but I, I have a, a client right now who has stage 4 lung cancer, and she's decided she has to go back to work because she can't afford to pay the premium for her insurance. That shows <laughs> so how, how that's broken a, That's a stark is. example. 
so let's let's uh, come back in a few minutes and talk some more. And listeners, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, or the Good Grief Host page. To find Woody Weingarten, you can go to vitalitypress.com or Marin Man to Man. Back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Woody Weingarten about his book, Roller Coaster, and the other work he does with men whose partners have been um, diagnosed with breast cancer. Before the break, we were talking about the costs of both being ill and caregiving and what a tremendous load that can be on people. Um you know, was what was that difficult in your own situation? The kind of toll of of demand on your on your family system, basically. Um, the demands were so large that the financial demands didn't seem to matter. I mean, we were we were covered by insurance ha- happily. Um, when when I had the the prostate cancer. I paid more attention to the uh, thing only because the cost, only because it was in my face. And I found out that the rate, one of those two radiations I had, and not not counting the hormone treatments, cost a quarter of a million dollars. Oh my uh, gosh. It cost us three thousand dollars out of pocket, um, but that's an insane amount of money as far as I'm concerned. So I, I'm all for fixing the the medical system if we can do that, mm-hmm. um, but. That the general pressures that come from any life-threatening disease, both to the patient and the uh, caregiver, the partner, uh, are just enormous, and they're there all the time. They come and they go. That's the roller coaster effect. Um, it's an up and down, all the time thing. 
And it happens way after the disease is so-called cured. Um, it's just there, and you just have to learn to, to roll with those punches, uh, both people. So I'm 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 aware of this this thing that seems very vital in what you're saying that on the one hand you and she became very good at um you know this lemonade from lemon from lemons um phenomenon I guess right. and on the other hand um it doesn't seem as if you're you're kind of allergic to feeling bad when you do it no, seems as if you've accepted that sometimes you don't feel good and that's okay. Am I, 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 am I hearing you right? I, yes, you are hearing right. And I started to say, I think it's important that you roll with that. You go with those bad feelings. You acknowledge that you feel bad and then you wait for it to pass. And it will pass. It will pass quicker if you acknowledge that it exists. Um, when, one of the things I do all the time is I say to myself literally, um, that's a bad thought. And I acknowledge that it exists. I acknowledge it's a bad thought. And then I just wait for it to subside. And, and I move through it. And then I'm okay. Um, I, I write regular columns as well these days in my retirement. And one of them happened recently where I had a week from hell. Uh, all the people around me were getting sick or, and or dying. And I, I was very upset. And I realized that there was nothing I could do about it except be there for these people. And I wrote a column enumerating that, but it ended up talking about counting my blessings, talking about looking at the sky and, and still seeing the animals that I saw as a child in the clouds, mm. um, that sort of thing. That t- yes. Taking a, a negative and just recognizing it's there, dealing with it, and then moving on. So that that I I just saw a, a sort of balanced set of scales there, recognizing what you're experiencing and not making trying to make it go away, and also being aware of gratitude for what you're grateful for. That one kind of helps the other in a sense, huh? Yes, and and you know it's it's really sort of interesting that um, one of the things that I learned along the way was that. There are a lot of statistics that are thrown at you when, when there's somebody ill. And we have to keep in mind that both the partner and, and the, uh, the, the patient and the partner uh, are individuals, not statistics. And you, you are somewhere on that bell curve, but it should be used as a guide. And in the case of breast cancer, breast cancer couldn't care less about race, creed, sexual orientation, politics. But at the same time, you need to know that uh, your circumstances, your emotions, and your mates aren't unique, but they reflect many, many people who have traveled the same bumpy roads before you and many who will travel those roads after you. I'm, I'm imagining that the group that you facilitate, uh, that's a key element of seeing that other people are having the same feelings, the same experiences, and that some people, that there's a difference, you know, let's say 20 years out, um, to, to be able to see people also kind of uh, ahead of you in a sense. 
Yes, that's true. Um, and and the our group, the man to man group, has had men as old as eighty something. And uh, I just got a call recently from a 22-year-old whose mother has breast cancer. We've expanded it to include people beyond breast cancer. We have somebody now whose wife is in stage 4 lung cancer. We have a man who has breast cancer, and there are about 2,000 men in the United States every year who get diagnosed with that. Um, So it's a, a wide variety, and their reactions, there's a lot of overlap. There are a lot of things that are similar, and the same thing would be true if we, if we had expanded and had a hundred people in it from from different diseases. The emotional impact tends to be the same. the The medical treatments are different, but the emotion uh, we all experience the same fears, the same uh, love, the same everything, um, and how you deal with that tends to be the same. Um, so there is a, a great overlap. I talk about that in the group. Other people talk about it all the time in the group. I talk about it when I um, when I talk to uh, groups. I'm, I'm talking this Saturday to uh, a group of caregivers, about 400 of them at Stockton, California, where I don't think I've ever been, um, mm-hmm. and I've never talked to a group that big. For me, there's, there's been a learning experience out of writing the book uh, I have been able to grow in ways that I didn't think I would. I'm not a public speaker. Even doing this kind of a show is, is unique. I've never done an hour interview. Um, uh, three minutes is about my normal length. Um, it doesn't so, really uh, show, Woody. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm learning as I'm going. And that's, that's part of the wonder of it all. Uh, because this is all positive. It's all, I, that's really the way I look at life. And, and, Therefore, um, it's not, cancer was never a gift. There are people who have that bumper sticker, you know, cancer is a gift, or lung cancer is a gift, or AIDS is a gift. I don't believe that. I, or if, I, if it's true, I could have done very well without the gift, thank you. <laughs> uh, but what I, what I do believe is that it is an opportunity. It is a, a way to learn, and um, I... Have my my father, who was my hero, taught me that learning is the most important thing, and I will learn until the minute I die, and and I keep learning, and I I think that's terrific. Uh, it, that's interesting. I was I was I did a speaking engagement yesterday myself, and um, the host was recounting a a deathbed story in which people asked the man who was dying what he needed or what he wanted, and he said more experiences. Um, you know that sort of works in any situation the idea that you you can if you choose make something out of what you're going through yeah Uh, Um, not everyone does choose to but that that's a potential so you're 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 um you come by that by training and maybe nature that idea of of being able to learn from what you um, go through i i if you consider parental guidance training, by all means, uh, because that really was my father's uh, big deal in life. That I, I was brought up in the suburbs of New York City, and I went to the torch of the Statue of Liberty. I went to the top of the Empire State Building. I went to the Staten Island Ferry. I went to the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade 
and the May Day Parade, and all sorts of things that New Yorkers don't do. But my father believed I should have those experiences. And uh, so uh, my childhood was marvelous. And I, I don't know a lot of people who say that, but I had a good childhood. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and strangely enough, for the most part, a functional family. Uh, no, not many people say that either. <laughs> right. So that, uh, you know, it's interesting because I, I think a lot about there was this one period in my life I call transformational, but there were things that made that possible, like learning how to learn stuff and having certain people in my life encourage me to value my experience. You know, that's what you're talking about, too, that there was sort of a, a groundwork laid. Yes, very much so. The foundation was there when I was very young, and uh, I tended to surround myself with the people, what I was talking about before, surrounding yourself with people who are supportive as opposed to people who are naysayers. I don't, I don't like to be in a situation where there's a lot of negativity. Now, sometimes breast cancer is obviously not a positive, um, <laughs> so th- it happens. Uh, then you have to deal with that. But that doesn't mean you have to stay in those places. You can find your way through them, and that's, that's what I work at. You know, the way I'm hearing that word negativity is uh, as a kind of hopeless doom, as opposed to just realistically, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm feeling about it. I, I feel that gets confused a little bit sometimes, that uh, just could. saying... But it's, you know, it's a knee-jerk reaction, particularly in our society, to anything that isn't um, sugar-coated. Um, and today we have too much sugar-coating and too much sugar. Um, <laughs> so, there's, yeah. there's a, there, again, there's a way of dealing with all of this stuff um, so that there's a balance. I haven't used that word today, I don't think, but I believe in it. I believe that well, the balance and, is really and in. In line with that, I would love for you to um, read the passages that um, are kind of a look back at what you learned, um, Nancy's piece and yours. Would you share that okay. before we go today? Sure. Uh, Nancy's is um, from the uh, section on radiation, and mine is from something that's called 20 Years Later. Uh, Nancy's goes like this. I have considered what I want in my life, peace, love, harmony, and then to war throughout the world. Those desires have not changed, but now I want to pay more attention to Woody, be a better mother and daughter. I have allowed myself to befriend visualizations, crystals, vitamins, hands-on healing. I have prayed. I want this entry in my diary to be profound. I want to remember all the important things to put them down for me and Woody and whoever to see. But I don't feel profound. I simply feel relieved. So glad it's over. Mine is equally emotional. Um, It goes like this. We can now offer greater understanding and kindness to each other and to virtually everyone who touches our lives. We can now recognize it's not crucial what gender or age someone with a life-threatening disease is, and that both designated patient and anointed caregiver require nurturing. We can more regularly keep our priorities in order, strive for balance, 
unblock our spirituality, and divert the million potential intrusions on our lives each week. The day we were wed, I read this to my wife-to-be. Through all the nows and yet-to-comes, I pledge only this, to love you without reservation, as fully as the human condition will allow, to nurture our creative talents so our individual and collective light may brighten the few shadowy corners of this dimension, and to cherish and retain always my glorious vision of us as soulmates. Almost 30 years later now, I have not changed my mind or my intent. Thanks so very much for being with me today, Woody. It's been a pleasure. It has been my pleasure as well, and thank you for the opportunity. You bet. Listeners, you can find Woody Weingarten at www.vitalitypress.com or Marin Man to Man. Next week, Joy Laverd, author of The Complete Elder Care Planner, will be my guest. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.